0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Well, we're going to look at the end of Numbers. Um, We're going to get through Deuteronomy and get into Joshua, okay? And aren't you grateful for God and what He's done for us? (laughs) Praise the Lord. It's good. When we follow the Lord, let me just kind of categorize it this way, okay? When we follow the Lord... We get to experience His grace. I'm sorry. We get to experience His grace and the victories that He has for us in and through our lives. Have you experienced that? Okay. Four things this morning. And not to start it off on a negative point, but (laughs) rebellious hearts. I don't think you can uh, study the the nation of Israel and get a picture of this people that have been rescued out of Egypt. They've been baptized, so to speak, through the Red Sea. Now they're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, They've refused to go into the land because of the testimony of 10 of the 12 spies. And in the midst of all that, there's moment after moment after moment where the Lord tests them. And there's times where they fail. They trip and they stumble. And I just want to encourage you in this because God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. There are times as believers where we trip and stumble. There's times as believers where we refuse to follow the Lord. It could be out of fear. There's all kinds of reasons. And God is so patient and he's gracious to us and, he, and he's able to bring good out of things. And we're thankful for that. So there's a picture here of, of individuals walking in such a way that they're really not enjoying the blessings of God that were already theirs. And I fear that a lot of believers are in that same boat, that same category. They're not walking in what is already theirs. God is so good. He knows what's around the corner. He knows how to, how to help us through. He knows how to give us the strength and the energy and the wisdom and the power and all the different things that he alone is able to provide. The question is, are we going to walk with him? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to experience him as we follow him so that through us we get to experience those grace victories that in the end we're able to raise our hands and say to the glory of the Lamb, That's the issue. So there's pictures of grace in the midst of all this. Joshua is a wonderful picture of surrendered leadership. Beautiful picture of this. The way we've defined leadership in our day and age is influence. Who has the most influence? Who can get the biggest crowd? Who's got the the most charisma? Personality. Performance. Good grief. Grief. It's not about that, folks. It's about following God. Because true leadership starts with our walk with the Lord. And it starts with whether we're yielded to him. And then, as the Lord leads and as God empowers, there will be servant attitudes, service, ministry, the placing of others above our own selves. And as a result of that, then the Lord will accomplish the influence Joshua's a beautiful picture of that. And lastly, there's a faith victory as the people go into the land and they see God do a work to bring down the walls of Jericho. Man, it's awesome. In Numbers chapter 15, we have this rebellious issue. In Numbers chapter 15, immediately, I think this is interesting because they've, they've rejected going into the land. Uh, they don't want to do this. They don't trust the Lord. The people are too big. Cities are too broad. All this kind of stuff. All the excuses. But what's interesting is the Lord gives them directions as to what to do when they come into the land. Isn't that cool? Have you ever caught that? I mean, they, they, they rebelled. They didn't want to go in. Then they took things into their own hands. They tried to go fight. They get slaughtered. Now they're going to wander in the, the wilderness, and they're going to die. This generation's going to die. The, the new generation's what's going to go into the land. God's going to use them to go into the land. But I think it's fascinating that the Lord immediately says, oh, you're going to wander in the desert. This generation's going to die. But when you do come into the land, here's what you're to do. I tell you, with God, there's always hope. With the Lord, there's always mercy. With the Lord, there's always grace. There's always patience. There's always kindness. He's always serving us. It's amazing. In chapter 16, we have this interesting situation with a few of the guys. One of the guys' name is Korah. Dathan and Abiram, along with their families, there's a rebellion against Moses. Which is nothing new. We've seen this over and over. They grumbled and complained. And Moses and Aaron, you've led us into this wilderness to die. And we have remembered all the food that we had in Egypt. I think they got really selective in their memories, right? But here's a group of guys that again begin to rise up against the leadership that God has put over Israel. That God is working through There's 250 leaders that are offering incense, and they're destroyed by fire. Korah, and Dathan, and Abiram, and all their families, everybody said, oh, get away. And so they separated away, and all the little ones, and their their wives, and these men, the earth just opened up and swallowed them. Figuratively speaking, they were just taken into an earthquake. And killed. God brought judgment on them. You know what's interesting is the very next day, the people began to blame Moses and Aaron that all these people had died. And so a plague breaks out. And Moses has to tell Aaron, get your incense and go and offer it to the Lord. And the plague stops. Hearts that are refusing to trust the Lord. Drawing lines. You know what's interesting, and don't miss this. I have a feeling that Korah and Dathan and Abiram and all these men, the 250 that were consumed by fire, I have a feeling that they had all kinds of good reasons for why they thought the way they did. Well, We're concerned about the people of Israel, Moses. We're concerned about the direction that we're going in here. I can just hear it now. They had all kinds of things that they could use as a checklist To say. And some of those things were probably well-intentioned. Pretty good. The bottom line is they grumbled. They complained. They did not trust. And as a result, the Lord disciplines them. Folks, as leaders, we better make sure we keep our eyes on the Lord. Amen? Amen? because the truth of the matter is is when we get our eyes off the Lord we can even have biblical reasons for why we think we're following God in the way that he wants us to follow him and the truth is it has nothing to do with God it's our own selfish ambition it's our own thoughts it's our own thinking it's for our glory instead of his oh we need one another in this we need to guard one another in this because it's very easy to fall into that ditch it really is Numbers 18 gives us specific instructions on worship, sacrifice, how to deal with death. It's it's unbelievable. You talk about the holiness of God. All of these laws, all of these ways of living, all these things are given in order to depict the holiness of God. And how do we deal with that? We recognize God is a holy God, we recognize that He is worthy of worship, He's worthy of our lives. Miriam dies in Numbers 19, and what's interesting in Numbers chapter 20, we see Moses actually sin. Now, he's flesh and blood, he's got human sinful nature, like all of us. What the Bible says about him is that there was nobody like Moses nobody after him, nobody before him. He's the only one that God came to and literally spoke face to face at the tent of meeting. His face would shine. I mean, the Lord spoke clearly with Moses. The Lord calls him his friend. He's the most humble man. And yet there was still this moment where he literally got frustrated to the point of taking things into his own hands. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, the Lord tells Moses, Remember, the people are complaining all over again. And it's the same, same song, 50th verse. You know, they don't have enough water. I can't believe you brought us out of the land of Egypt, Moses. It's all your fault. So the Lord tells Moses, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. Now, what does he tell, what does the Lord tell him to do? He says, Speak to the rock. Moses, before had been told, strike the rock, and the water had come out. This time he's told, Speak to the rock. What happens? Verses eleven and twelve, Numbers twenty, Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beast strength. The Lord, the Lord honors Moses in this. But then he says this to Moses and Aaron: Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Wow. That's like, what? After all the sin of Israel, all the complaining and rebelliousness of this people, Moses loses it once, and you go, Lord, uh, you know, comparatively. <laughs> the problem is, is Moses is a leader. Aaron's a leader. And they're to role model to the people what it means to honor and respect, to listen, to follow, to walk by faith. And they chose to take things into their own hands rather than doing what God had said. 1 Corinthians 10.4 has a little bit of commentary on this. And Paul tells us this, writing to the Corinthians, all drank the same spiritual drink. He's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking specifically about this particular moment in time. He says, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And then he says this, the rock was Christ. Have you ever seen that? (laughs) What? Did you catch that? I mean, the pillar of cloud, the the fire we get, right? It, It goes up off the tabernacle, it starts to move, and what are the people supposed to do? Pack things up, let's go. But what about the rock following them? I'm sorry, some people want to spiritualize this. Clearly there's a spiritual truth to this. But I believe there's also a reality that there's a rock following them, and Paul tells us it is Christ. Now think about that. Where are they getting their nourishment? Where are they getting the water that they need? And what is Jesus called? He's called the living water, right? What is the Lord trying to teach this nation? It is to trust me. Trust me. Walk with me. Walk with me by faith. I will provide. I know what you need before you even ask of it. I've designed the circumstances specifically so that you can see me at work and learn to trust me more. Stop grumbling and fighting against me in the very thing that is for your benefit. Wow. I think part of the reason that the Lord held Moses and Aaron accountable to this is because the picture of the rock and what it meant for this nation. Well, as we go through this again, Aaron dies and the priesthood is passed on to his son, Eleazar. And in Numbers 21, we get the serpent moment, right? You know the serpents. Well, what, why are the serpents? What happened? People were grumbling again, right? <laughs> oh, folks, let's not look down on the Israelites. Can we all agree that our flesh is the same flesh? It's just as wicked and morbid. We, we have such a hard time trusting the Lord. We have victories, and then immediately the next day, we're thrown into something else where we start to question God all over again. So the Lord's gracious. He sends serpents, and they began to bite the people. The people cry out. And Moses goes to the Lord, and in verses 8 and 9 in Numbers 21, the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, He lived. You get bitten, what do you got to do? You got to get to a point where you can see that bronze serpent. You got to walk by faith. You you don't just call for the medicine. You don't just try to fix it yourself. You have to trust that if you look at that serpent, God's going to do what he said that he would do, which is to heal you. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Lord, in speaking, the Nicodemus, in speaking about eternal life, uses this as an illustration of himself. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's speaking about being on the cross. And so that whoever believes will in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Wow. Folks, by looking at the Lord, what is he talking about? by recognizing that salvation is in Christ and him alone there is no other hope rebellious hearts and yet in the midst of it god's grace in the midst of it god's provision for salvation in the midst of it god's loving discipline to teach a people to walk with him to follow him to believe him In Numbers 21 and 22, we have some pictures of grace here. And this is really cool, too, because I I don't know that I've ever seen it this way. These are the people that have been told, you you didn't go into the land. You refused to obey me. And so you're going to wander in the desert. In fact, you're going to die in the desert. In fact, the kids that you were worried about being enslaved by these insurmountable enemies, they're the ones that are going to take over the land. Man. You talk about condemnation. Wouldn't that be condemning in a lot of ways? But you know, God is able to use things like that and he's able to bring good out of it. If you've ever resisted the Lord and if you've ever chosen to draw a line and not follow him, you know what? God still has a plan. And God still has, the, has an ability to weave into your life things that he'll bring about in order that you can experience and continue to walk with him. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. There's four different things in Numbers chapter 21 and following. First of all, Arad is conquered. Secondly, Sihon, king of the Amorites, attacks Israel. Israel defeats them and lives in their cities. Did you catch that? Lives in their cities. They they had been intense. They had been wandering in the wilderness. They had been circling Mount Sinai for years. And now God starts to bring them back towards the land, and he starts to give them victories. And they also begin to have places to live. Og, the king of Bashan, is defeated. The king of Moab, Balak. (laughs) What a piece of work this guy is. Now, come on. I know you know the story of the donkey. We won't use the King James version of this, okay? But the donkey. (laughs) The speaking donkey, right? You know what I'm talking about? Balak, the king of Moab, sees how the Israelites are winning every battle. God's grace. And so he hires Balaam, who is a soothsayer. He's demonic to the core. He's paid money in order to bring curses or blessings on people. And so Balak, the king, goes, oh, I need some help with these people. So he hires This guy, and what happens? This guy starts to bless Israel left and right. He can't say anything but good about Israel. And Balak's ticked off about it. He said, didn't I pay you money to curse these people? I said, hey, I got to say what the God most high says. Don't get the picture wrong. This guy's not a righteous guy. This guy, this guy doesn't love God. He doesn't know God from a hole in the wall. In fact, later on, what he does is he figures out a way in order to get Israel to sin. He uses the Midianite women in order uh, to go with the Israelite men. And we won't go into all that. But the Israelite men commit immorality. And as a result, plague broke, breaks out. Some 23, 24,000 people die as a result. Of Balaam, Don't get the wrong picture here. But what's interesting is even a wicked individual like Balaam, God is able to use. So Balaam's on his way. He's supposed to curse Israel. He's riding on his donkey. And all of a sudden the donkey veers to the side. So much so that Balaam's hacked off and starts to whip the thing. And now, folks, if I had a donkey do this to me, it, it would change things, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd wonder, what, what did I eat, you know? What's going on in my life? The donkey turns to, to the guy and says, have I ever done this to you in, in my entire life? Haven't I been a faithful donkey to you? The, the crazy, absolute, messed up thing is Balaam talks back to the donkey. I mean, somebody help me with this. I mean, if, if, I, if, if a donkey said something to me, I'd, I'd walk away. He starts to have a conversation. Well, long story short, the donkey, in effect, was used by God in order to save this guy's life. The Lord opens his eyes, and in the path that the donkey saw that caused him to go to the side was the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword ready to kill Balaam. And warned them again, you better not say one thing about my people. Only what I tell you, you're going to bless them. Phenomenal. Pictures of grace, folks. Pictures of grace. Did the people deserve that? They had rebelled against God. They chose not to go into the land, and yet, in the midst of their wandering, God still uses them, God still blesses them, God still continues to work on their behalf, and He gives them victory after victory after victory. Well, we get into the whole idea of Joshua and surrendered leadership. In Numbers chapter 27, verses 16 through 19. Moses is coming to the end of his time. He's been told because he struck the rock twice, you're not going to go into the promised land. Which again, I would just encourage you, is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of believers walking by faith and experiencing all that is theirs to experience. The land was already theirs. They made a decision not to trust God to walk in it. Moses... If the land of Canaan is heaven, how did he get into heaven? How did, how did Aaron get into heaven? How did Miriam get into heaven? So Joshua is going to succeed Moses. And we get this picture of surrendered leadership here. Numbers 27, verses 16 and following says, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not... Be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. If you remember, Joshua's been following Moses everywhere. He would even go up on the mountain, not all the way up. When Moses went all the way up to get the Ten Commandments, Joshua would stay somewhere in the middle. He didn't go all the way up with them. When when Moses was speaking to the Lord at the tent of meeting, Joshua was outside. He got to hear a lot. He got to watch a lot. He he learned a lot from Moses. He's clearly a godly man. Remember, he's one of the two spies that went into the land, he and Caleb. And they came out saying, yes, let's go, folks. God will do this. We don't got to fear. Praise God for men like Joshua that in spite of what everybody else seems to think is the right way, they know God well enough to say, no, no, let's follow God. He's got a better way. In Numbers chapter 33, we get this massive review. And in fact, really the next chapters into Deuteronomy are all about Moses, in effect, recording what had happened Encouraging the people as to their behavior, as to God's promises, his faithfulness. Leads right into the book of Deuteronomy. Which is really a review of all that Israel has been through since the time of Egypt. And a warning in effect from Moses to continue to follow God as he leads them into the promised land. He tells them to remember what God has done for them. Remember all the signs and all the wonders and how he rescued you out of Egypt and how he brought you through the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's army. Remember how he's been with you in the wilderness. Your clothes haven't worn out. Your shoes haven't worn out. He's provided manna for you, water for you, quail for you. He's given you everything. Remember how you didn't trust him. Remember the consequences. He reminds them to remember the promises the Lord had made. To choose life through obeying the commandments of God, of yielding to the Lord. Let me give you some verses on this because it's beautiful. Um, in, in terms of God's faithfulness, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 4 and following. Deuteronomy 8, 4 and following. He says, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Now, folks, hang on to that verse. Because these are the Lord's people. And in spite of their hardness of heart and in spite of their lack of faith at times, God viewed them as his children and he was disciplining them. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Wow. That's a beautiful truth, isn't it? He reminds them of God's faithfulness and what God has promised to do. You know what else he does? He warns them of spiritual pride. Warns them of spiritual pride. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5, he says, Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, speaking of the, the wicked people in the land, the Canaanites. He says, don't say in your heart when God does this, because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteous or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He warns of spiritual pride, folks, and we got to hear that all the time, don't we? What is it that we lift up as somehow what we've done for God? Boy, don't we, we better be careful. Have we done that? Or is God? And We got to be a part of experiencing the Lord in the process. He challenges them to choose life in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. He says, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. And in verse 17, he warns them again. He says, if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Wow. It's all yours. Follow him. It's all yours. Follow him. He will be faithful to do what he has said he will do. And the blessings have already been promised. The question is are you walking in them? Are you trusting the Lord? In Deuteronomy 31 6, he says, Be strong. And courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord, your God, is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful truth. Folks, as believers, God lives in us. The Lord goes before us. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians makes that very clear. The question is, are we walking in it? Do we trust the Lord? Are we choosing life? We're not talking about saved from hell kind of life. We're talking about walking with God. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is all about who we are in Christ. Our identity in Him. We are God's children. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does He promise? You shall be saved. Period. Now the question is, are you walking in it? Are you willing to trust the Lord so that God in and through you begins to accomplish his grace victories? And then we don't say, look at us. Look at what we've done. We say, look at God. Look how great he is. Well, in Deuteronomy 34, we have this transition to Joshua. And in verses 9 and following. Because Moses has passed on, he goes to Mount Nebo. How many of you have been up on Mount Nebo? It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, Amazing to be up there. It's kind of surreal. It's a real place, folks. (laughs) It's a real mountain. You can see out over the land. God takes him up. He sees the land. And then he dies. Nobody knows where his body is. Good thing they would have worshipped that too. Deuteronomy 34, verses 9 through 12, Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And since that time, listen to what it said of Moses, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Is it any wonder that the people looked at this man, who they had grumbled about, complained about, been led through the wilderness for 40 years by, and they wept. This was a man of God. You know what's really cool in the New Testament? We see the transfiguration take place, and who's standing, who's one of the men standing with the Lord? Moses. Where are they standing? In the promised land, in Canaan. It's cool. God brings things full circle, folks. As we get into Joshua, Joshua takes over. And the people are willing to follow him. In chapter 2, verses 17 and following, it says, If your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong wind. Come on, work. There we go. <laughs> Chapter 2. Sorry. Joshua sp- sends out spies, instructs them to search out the land, particularly Jericho. How many spies did he send out? Twelve? <laughs> no, I think he's learned his lesson. He sent two. And I bet he had a real heart to heart with these guys before they left. Don't you? If you come back and you give a report that's bad, I'm gonna take you and hang you from the highest flagpole that this land has ever seen. I mean, you can hear it now, right? You better trust the Lord. I mean, He handpicked these guys, folks. Two guys it says, "Go out, check out the land, and particularly Jericho." They've come now. They're in the plains of Moab. The Jordan River is in between them and Jericho. They're about to enter into the land. Oh, can you imagine? The spies go out, they go to Jericho. Rahab comes into the picture, phenomenal story. A harlot, she hides them. Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Rahab tells the spies, we've heard all about you. Everybody's scared to death about you guys. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I'll hide you, but you got to promise me that when you come here and you take this city, that you'll spare me and my father's household. And they promise him. I think it's interesting in verse 10 of chapter 2, she says this, We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. So the report... Because God used Rahab in order to rescue these spies. She hides them. They take off. They get back to Joshua. Verse 23. The two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they related to him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Amen. (laughs) Faith. God's at work. Let's join him. That's the idea. So, what do they got to do? They got to cross the Jordan, right? This is awesome. It's flood stage. Flood stage. All the people, what do they do? They put the ark out first. The priests carrying the ark it says, as soon as their souls come to rest in the river, that God will then back up the water. And he does. They cross it as if they had crossed the Jordan on dry land. But you know what's really cool? It says that the water was heaped up. Heaped up. Some estimates are about 10 miles worth of water heaped up. You think the inhabitants of the land are watching what's going on? You think Jericho's not watching what's going on? They can see that water heaped up, and they're watching these people cross over. Unbelievable. Fears setting in. Why? Because the Lord... Remember what he told Israel? Don't get proud. Don't think that you did this because of you. I'm judging these people because of their sin. 400 years of rebelliousness against God. The Lord says, you're going to be my tools. Israel, you're going to be my tools in order to bring judgment upon these people. So they cross the waters. They come in to the land. The manna stops because they begin to eat of the produce of the land. But there's something they need to do. They need to be circumcised. Folks, they need to be set apart. They need, again, to be reminded that they are a people holy unto God. Now, folks, I don't know. I'm not going to get into all the details of this one. (laughs) But militarily, this does not make sense. You just announced to the entire land of Canaan, including Jericho, which you are right before, that you're coming in and you're going to take over this land. And for three days, these guys can't move. Right? I think that's a little thing called faith. I think that's a thing called trust. They were willing to do what God said to do, even if, from the human perspective of things, it didn't make sense. There are people set apart to God. They walk by faith. I love the story of Joshua in chapter 5. Verses 13 and following, it says, it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what is my Lord to say to a servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Folks, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Why? Because he received worship from Joshua. Angels don't do that. You can track that all through the Bible. Surrendered heart, willingness to follow. And what happens? A tremendous faith victory. What are they told? Again, militarily, this doesn't even make sense. You don't want to let uh, your enemy know how many warriors you have. They're to walk around the city quietly one time for six days in a row. The ark of the Lord is to go before them. And what's to happen on the seventh day? The seventh day, they keep on going and they do seven times around the city. This is a double-walled, fortified city. They've done all kinds of archaeological digs on this thing. The walls are unbelievable. For that day and age, this city cannot be taken under normal circumstances. It just can't. And so what happens on the seventh day? They walk around it. The trumpets blow. And what do the people do? They give a shout. Wow. There's over 600,000 warriors, folks. There's probably over 2 million people. They shout, and what happens? The walls fall flat so that they can walk right across the walls, right into the city. You think that's by accident? Some people want to explain this away, just like with the plagues. Oh, it's just an earthquake that happened at that moment. Seriously. People will come up with anything so that they don't have to try and believe God. It's amazing. The Lord's able to take out stuff, folks. We can look at things and say, oh, it's impossible for us to do this. And God, in a moment, can accomplish it. They defeat the city. I love it in Joshua 6.20. says so the people shouted and priests blew the trumpets and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet the people shouted with a great shout the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight ahead and they took the city. Rahab and all her family are spared. What did she do? She put a red cord she lived on the wall she put a red cord as to the direction of the spies it was the cord that she had used in order to let them down out of the city in order to escape and they told her hey You get everybody into your home, you put that red cord over the wall, and you'll be spared. And she did. In Hebrews 11, verses 30 and 31, it says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Did you catch that? By faith. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Wow. Let me give you a couple takeaways as we conclude. First of all, do you have a rebellious heart toward the Lord and his leaders? Look, I say that to everybody. I say that the leaders alike. I say that to me. How many times do we grumble and complain against the Lord? How many times do we act as if the Lord has no clue what's going on? We don't like the direction. We don't like whatever. You can throw. fill in the blank. If there's one thing to catch out of the Israelites over and over and over again is how they did not trust the Lord nor those men that God had placed into positions of leadership. And folks, that's sin. It's all... I, What else can I call it? Sin for me, it's sin for anybody else. It needs to be repented of because it's wrong. Secondly, what Jordan River do you have in your life? It's at flood stage. You don't know where to go with it. And yet the Lord says you're going to cross that thing. Wow. Do you trust the Lord to part the waters? You trust the Lord to accomplish something that you never thought possible. And in the midst of it, to glorify his name through you, through the circumstance. What Jordan River do you have in your life right now? You're looking at it and thinking, "Ah, Lord, I I don't think this is going to work. And God lovingly, kindly, and graciously comes alongside of us and in effect puts his arm around us and says, I can do all things. Is anything too difficult for me? Thirdly, whose side are you on? You know, did you catch what the Lord said to Joshua? Joshua asked the question Whose side are you on? (laughs) What did the Lord say to him? I love this. Neither. Neither. The question is wrong, Joshua. The question is Are you on my side? Are we on the Lord's side? Are we walking with the Lord? Are we walking by faith? Are we willing to say yes? Is he the captain, the shepherd? So this is the question, really. Is it God's plan or our plan? Oh, I got a great plan for you, Lord. I just need you to divinely make it happen. No, no, no. What's the Lord's plan? What does God want to do? Because walking around Jericho seven times doesn't seem to make sense. But yet it's by faith that the walls came down. Are we walking by faith? Are we living our lives in such a way that we're experiencing Christ in every moment of every day, no matter what the Jordan River looks like, no matter what the city that seems to be in the way, standing against the blessings that we feel like are ours, that have been promised to us? What is it that God can't do? Do we trust him? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to say yes to him and be a people That God reveals his glory through, not only in our midst, but to the world. So that they look at us and they come to us and they say, what's this hope that you've got? Because I don't got it and I need it. And we don't turn around and say, oh, (laughs) it's my victory. No, no, no. We say, oh, look at the victory God has. And look what God can do. And we have the privilege of presenting Christ, no matter where we are, no matter what situation God has allowed us to be in, for His glory, for His honor. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours